0: Well, today is uh, the 2nd of August. Uh, this is the, our uh, introduction or our lesson zero for uh, our study, It's Not What You Think, It's What You Do. Let's open in prayer. Our Father, our King, we do thank you for the opportunity to come before you. We thank you for the time that we can spend studying together. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a sure word. It is a good word. And Father, we know that it is because it is what you have spoken. Father, we thank you that you have spoken and you have given us clear direction. We ask that you might illuminate our steps, that our walk might be consistent with our talk. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. And uh, this is from uh, the art scroll in Pesuka de Zimra, the prayers before the Shema. This is called Baruch Shema. Blessed is he who spoke, and the world came into being, blessed is he. Blessed is he who maintains creation. Blessed is he who speaks and does. Blessed is he who decrees and fulfills. Blessed is he who has mercy on the earth. Blessed is he who has mercy on the creatures. Blessed is he who gives goodly reward to those who fear him. Blessed is he who lives forever and endures to eternity. Blessed is he who redeems and rescues. Blessed is his name. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, the God, the merciful Father, who is lauded by the mouth of his people, praised and glorified by the tongue of his devout ones and of his servants. And through the Psalms of David, your servant, we shall laud you, Lord our God, with praises and songs. We shall exalt you, praise you, glorify you, mention your name, and proclaim your reign, our King, our God, O unique one, life-giver of the worlds. King, whose great name is eternally praised and glorified. Blessed are you, Lord, the King who is lauded with praises. And everyone says, Amen. 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 Well, we're going to get started here. This is an introduction. It's kind of to get us started. Uh, one of the reasons why we do an introductory lesson before we do these, uh, these uh, study courses is because it gives us an opportunity to kind of set the stage, but more importantly, it gives an opportunity for us to. Uh, discuss the fact that we're going to have homework next week. If you want homework, I do have workbooks. <laughs> um, if, you, if you don't get a workbook, uh, the, the website, BereansOnline.org, uh, actually has them. You can print them out as well. Um, and uh, in this uh, workbook, you'll find a weekly study. Uh, so we will be doing, uh, doing homework for next week. Um, next Shabbat, we will actually be doing Lesson 1 discussing lesson one. So if you want to study in advance, you don't have to, uh, but if you'd like to do some work in advance before lesson one, you'll do the homework for lesson one, okay? Look a little bit at uh, reading from John 10, chapter 7, verse 11. I would hope that this is a uh, familiar passage to followers of Yeshua. Then Yeshua said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Uh, By the way, the highlighted words here, the bold words in your outline, are verbs. I say to you, I am the door of your sheep. All who ever come before me or came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. A thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life actually in the in the Greek it actually has you may be life you may be life and that you may be it more abundantly i am the good shepherd the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep john 10:7 through 11 we're going to look at things although we'll be dealing with both greek and hebrew as we do the study uh, we will be trying to take things back to hebrew interesting thing about the the, the hebrew language is there is, no where, there is no words, or there are no words for saying that you are.:
1: <laughs>
0: Which actually has great, great application for us today, as we look at this study. Uh, you are not what you are, because you simply are. I am th- I am, uh, because I think I am is completely foreign to the Bible way of looking, or rather, acting and living life. Uh, you are not, except by you what you do. You define yourself. You are known by what you do, not by what you say or what you think you mean or what you think you are. You are defined not by titles. You are defined by what you do. Uh, there is oftentimes the, the objection that Yeshua never said he was Messiah, which he did, by the way, but regardless of whether you acknowledge that or not, it's a completely Greek, excuse me if you're Greek, it's fine, it's a, it's a Western way of looking at things that you would have to say it. Saying means nothing. A king is not known because he calls himself king. A king is known because he acts like a king. Right? Servants are not known by their pledge of allegiance to their master. Servants are known because they serve their master by what they do. Throughout history, we've had these two ways of looking at life. God's way and the world's way. God wants his people to think his way. Now, I use the word think because it really does start in the heart. It starts in the conscious Choice, but we need to know that it has to go further than that. And that's so you have to word use think, you have to word consider, you have to use words like that. Uh, however, you can't stop there, and that's the danger of of many approaches to scripture. Is it's just all sounds really good, it feels really good. We think good thoughts. Um, the word that's the world's way. It started in the Greek, in the classical Greek, a way of analyzing life, breaking life down. The Greek philosophers, uh, somewhere around, uh, actually it's much older than that, but in, in the formal way of looking at things, education would teach you that this Western or Greek way of approaching life started around uh, in the 5th or 6th century BCE. So we're talking about 2,500 years ago. Uh, come in. Are
1: you Rick? I am. Uh, 2,500
0: years ago or so, we had people approaching life and saying, what does it all mean? And these, uh, these Greek uh, philosophers, uh, oftentimes in juxtaposition to each other, uh, developed philosophies. And these philosophies uh, gained great credence and acceptance, especially among the so-called enlightened ones. And uh, eventually, they become the way of looking at life. Uh, it was one of the great struggles in the days of the Maccabees. Whether you're going to be Hellenized, that means Greekized, Right. Uh, Helen of Troy, the whole Greek, the whole Greek mythology associated with it. Whether they're going to be Hellenized or not, and uh, what we understand is that uh, uh, the the whole struggle with the Maccabees was, in fact, a a rejection not only of the Greek way of living, but also the Greek, uh, which was uh, pagan in that sense. Um, again, this is we're not talking Greek ethnic. We're just talking about a a worldwide philosophy. Um, not only the Greek way of living, but also the Greek way of thinking, approaching life. And uh, when you celebrate and when you uh, acknowledge the, uh, during the Hanukkah time, the time of the Maccabees, this is a great opportunity for you to begin to wonder how much, and by the way, all of us have Greek thinking, how much of what I do is it, is it associated with this ancient philosophy? And it is older than 2,500 years. It's as old as the garden. All Hebrews do not think correctly, by the way. Just if you're Jewish, you, you don't automatically have a like a, a guarantee way. Well, I think right. <laughs> so when we say Hebrew thinking, we're not saying we're not saying that it's a genetic thing. Again, it's not a genetic thing. It means it's a biblical way of approaching life. It's a biblical it's a biblical approach to thinking and doing, and the, and the focus is on doing. Uh, one of the great things about Uh, The Hebrew language is that it it is a language that almost all the words have a a root word that is a verb. It's a shoresh. A root word is a verb. Three-letter, generally three-letter verbs. Almost everything, even names, go back to a verb. So it's action language. It's a very much an action language in the sense that it's not a concept language. If you look at the Greek language and compare and English as well, because it's Western. If you compare them to Hebrew, Hebrew has Biblical Hebrew has about ten percent of the vocabulary of English of your English Bible. You look at a Hebrew Bible and and you look at its very condensed pages, very condensed pages compared to a not just because there are no vowels, but Very condensed pages compared to an English Bible. It takes a whole lot to say in English what that very concise Hebrew does. But more importantly, it's because Hebrew is not a language of concepts. Concepts are delivered and revealed by what you do. Let me give you an example. See? Yeshua did that too. It's like this. Let me tell you a parable. Right? Right? What was the parable? It was a nice story of real life things that people could make connections to. And what did he have to explain it? Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. But what did it tell? It delivered tremendous concepts, right? But the concepts weren't important. It's what are you going to do with it, right? What are you going to do with it? It was the constant challenge of doing. Uh, on this course, that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on action. We're going to actually look at 15 action words action words used both in the apostolic scriptures of what some people call the New Testament and, what, uh, and those words also in the Hebrew scriptures of the Tanakh. Uh, the Tanakh stands for Torah Prophets and Writings and, in Hebrew. Um, so we're going to look at this Hebraic way of looking at things. What you do. Faith without works is dead. Is what we're talking about. Faith without works is dead. Faith is that a noun or a verb? Yes, yeah, that, thank you very much. Yeah. In English, it's a, it's a noun. Yeah. Do you understand right away what have we done? What have we done?
1: Yeah.
0: Have we done? It yeah, it should be a verb, shouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Trust is a good one. Believe is another thing. But you know something? People use the word believe the same way, don't they?
1: Yeah.
0: In fact, they use the word believe to state doubt. Yeah. If you ask somebody something, if they're not sure, what they'll, will they say? Oh, well, I believe it was this way. Yeah. What? makes it really kind of kind of scary when people say, "Well, I believe that there's one god." What does James say? Good, Good for you. So does everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <The demons. laughs> That's right. The demons believe. What is? What is? How do you believe that there's one god? How do you believe that there's one god? I'm not asking you what you think. What do you do about the fact that there's one God? You
1: obey his
0: commandments. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Well it is, absolutely. You, know, you obey his commandments. Why? Because if there's one God, he's king. And how does a servant, how does a subject acknowledge the king? He takes his yoke upon him. And this is one of the prayers actually from the Siddur. is the beginning of the morning prayers is we take his yoke. When we say Shema it is a declaration that he is king, there's no other, and we accept his kingship. That's, that's what it is, it says. It's take, in fact, it's the phrase, uh, the phrases for Shema are defined by the phrase, taking the yoke of the kingdom upon you. Isn't that cool? I mean, it is, it is amazing. But how do we say, how do we, how do we say we believe that Yeshua is Messiah. How do we say we believe it? Do we think it? You say, I believe Yeshua's Messiah. And people go, James would say, excuse me for paraphrasing, good for you. (laughs) It's a start. What do you do about it? you obey Him? Right? Absolutely. Um, The Bible, one of the things we're also going to do, and it's a little bit fuzzy here, but the Bible, uh, Biblical Hebrew actually is, was a the first parts of it, the, most, the oldest parts of it, were actually written in an ancient pictographic text. They were not written in the Assyrian script as it's today in a, in a, in a uh, 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 Masor. It's not the Masoretic text. It's written in a, in a pictographic text. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem and you look at stuff from the Second temp- Temple, you won't be able to read it if you can read Hebrew unless you know the, the different letters. And the letters are pictographs. They're actually pictures of mm-hmm. common things. Uh, it's, not like, it's not like Egyptian where a, a picture is a word, a picture is a letter. It makes a sound, sounds like a sound, and it also has another meaning. Oftentimes, not always, but interestingly you can also discover meanings of words not only by context, which is the primary way, but also because the different pictures tell a story. Kadosh. The, 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 uh, the way of looking at a cough at a, at a is it looks like the back of a man's head. I could draw it for you, but I won't. And it looks like the back of a man's head in ancient and in modern Hebrew. The Dalet, in ancient and modern Hebrew, looks like a door. In fact, that's what it is. It's a door. That's what the word means. So it's a back of a head. A man. Actually, if you look at it, it's a man looking through a door. And the sheen looks like what? A fire. A, a torch. A blazing altar. And in fact, that's what the ancient Sheen spoke of as well. It was a a destruction or the consuming of something. It was pictured like a tooth to eat it, to consume it. And what does one see? Kadosh. A man looking through the door into the tabernacle sees the altar of the Lord. That's how he knows what's holy. Right? I'm out here. He's in there. And so it describes the word. This is an example. Uh, We'll do this. It's not... It's not a big deal. It's not something you would define for. You would not define a word only by this. But it's interesting. It helps you remember too, and it gives you an appreciation for the language, the ancient language of Hebrew. Uh, Go to. uh, We looked at John chapter ten. Go go to it in your Bible, John chapter ten, verse seven, or you can use the top here in our in our in our outline. It's all. uh, This is this passage. This is the passage from uh, um, where Yeshua speaks about being the good shepherd. This is a passage that's often used to describe the good life, the life of a believer. Right? The abundant life. It's also used oftentimes to kind of give you that fuzzy, warm, you know, isn't it great to be a believer sense? Because after all, you're a sheep, right? Isn't it great to be a sheep and have a good shepherd take care of you? He's the good shepherd. Uh, Janet, my wife, has been reading the book of Matthew to our youngest, Judah, who's seven. And because he has not grown up with the language that is often used in Sunday school, he finds some of the things that Yeshua says very disturbing. Just explain it it 's not <clears throat> easy. I promise most people that come from a different walk of life where' never going ah, what 's the problem yeah it's all you know look at isn 't he good isn 't he nice isn't he so kind you know he 's got that you know fuzzy Face with uh, you know a little bit blonde hair you know a little bit of feminine looking you know you know he's the good shepherd um wow these are strong words if you read the beginning very strong words he says difficult things he is a difficult teacher but he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light but it takes an acceptance doesn't it it says yes I will do and I and I and I do what he says so this phrase. That he uses, I have come that they may have life more abundantly. The word abundantly is not an adverb. It doesn't mean you'll have more of it, right? It means you'll have better life. What is the abundant life? What's the quality of life that makes an abundant life? One of the reasons why going through these, and I just picked 15 verbs to go through in this study. One of the reasons for going through these verbs is because they describe an abundant life. They do. They describe action, living a life that is abundant. What Yeshua is speaking of. Um, but this passage is not talking about. Uh, it tells us a little bit about this life. It's a spirit life. It's not a life. It's not just a lifestyle. There's a whole lot of people. Amish people. Nothing against Amish people, but Amish people have a what some people would call a very simple, but you know, rich lifestyle. Is that what it's talking about? Do we all need to become Amish? Well, they would say yes, maybe. I don't know. Uh, or, or, maybe, or maybe some of the Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox. They might say, well, see, it's a, it's a better lifestyle. Uh, actually, if you would ask them, it's not just a lifestyle. There's something more. There's something more. It's deeper than simply putting on the dress and the trappings and acting like mm-hmm. someone. They're not, maybe. It's more than that. Uh, and it's also, it's, this life is because Yeshua came. Something he did in coming Gives us this life. It comes to those who enter and go out the door. The door, of course, is Yeshua. He describes himself. I am the door. It comes by going through the door. It is purchased with Yeshua's own life. And we're not just talking about death. It's purchased by his life. What life did he live? That's the question. What life did he live? The life that's mentioned here is not our life, but Yeshua's. I've come to give you life. My life is what he's saying, Right. Don't think death when he says that. That's not the only explanation for this. And in fact I would say it's the secondary explanation for this. I've come to give you life. Go to Matthew chapter ten, verse thirty eight. Is this air conditioner off now? It does feel like it. It says like it's on, doesn't it? Matthew chapter ten, verse thirty-eight. Oh yes, Yeshua's words. These are the gentle words, uh, Gentle words, right? The red letters of your Bible, if you have a red letter Bible. Most people don't. But (laughs) If you have a red letter Bible, the red letters of your Bible are tough words, no matter where you read them. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. You have to have an exchange. It's not your life. That's what he said. It's not your life. It's not your life. If he's your master, it's not your life. You cannot do as you please. You, not, you cannot pick and choose from what he says. It's not like going to the grocery store and I'll have a little bit of this and I'll have a little bit of that and I'll have a little bit of this and look at me. Don't I look like a follower of Yeshua? No. That's not, it's, it's not your life. It's his life. If you're a follower of Yeshua, it's his, it's his life that you have to live. It's not a difficult life. He says that. He says, my, uh, Matthew chapter 11, what does he say? He says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my burden is easy, or my, my, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light." right? The beloved disciple in John, first John, tells us that obeying the commandments are not too difficult. Moses told that in Deuteronomy 30. "It is not too difficult for you to follow. So why do we make it a big deal? Why do we make it a difficulty? Because it means you have to surrender. It's not because what he's asked you to do is difficult. It's because it's not your choice. You don't get to do whatever you want. That's the difficult part. The surrender is the difficult part. That's the, isn't that the message of repentance? Yeah. It's the surrender that is the difficult part. After that, it's easy. It's glorious. It's an abundant life. That's what he says. Look a little bit, uh, go down to life from beyond. The word abundantly from John chapter 10, verse 10, is the Greek word peri- perisos, which means exceedingly or abundant. It comes from the word peron, which means beyond. And if you know the word Hebrew, ivri, you speak ivrit, ivri is, in fact, a word that means what? To cross over, to cross over from beyond. In fact, the first use of the word is used for Abraham, the Hebrew, and it used to describe him how? Because he came from Ur the Chaldees, and where did he go? Where God told him to go. He crossed over. He crossed over from beyond. Otherworldliness is the idea. You're coming from where you weren't, where where everybody else is, to where you were told to go. So, this is that same idea. Paran. The, the the Greek word talks about crossing over, or coming over, or or passing over, going from where the world all is to another place. Does that mean that I have to look and and like some sort of whack job, or you know, um, waiting for aliens to come and pick me up? Otherworldliness? No, we live here. We're not placing our hope and everything that we live on something in the future we live now that's what he's talking about living now so what is that? why why are we supposed to be otherworldly and yet we're not in another world? what's up with that? why? what does it do? it
1: makes a big difference it does it does it Mm -hmm. It makes
0: a really big difference but what is it if you living in this world are otherworldly have passed over crossed over what does it do? What is, it, what is the effect? Nobody
1: wants to talk to
0: you. Well, that's true.
1: And, this, and you,
0: break, you bring up a great point. The first thing that I might say, well, it's an attraction to other people. And I'd say, well, maybe. Yeah. What does it really do? And that's it. It makes you feel like it make, you may be on your own, alienated, whatever else. <laughs> Most importantly, and this is what I'm getting to, it is,
1: your
0: it changes your perspective. Mm-hmm. But when people know why, what does it do? It declares the glory of God. It does. You're not someone who has your own life. You're not someone who makes your own choices. You're not someone who does whatever you think is right to do. But rather, you, you fall into the kingship of one God. That's, that, you know, that, that says many things to those who don't even see, that you can't even see. It speaks to all creation that you're a servant of the king. And if no one else sees it or identifies it, all creation does. And that's the key. So you may not have a whole lot of people going, wow, what a great way to live. You know, I wish I were a believer. (laughs) They may not say that. They may. But they may not say that. And the reason it's not important either way is because it still is obeying the king. And the king, God, is receiving glory. In all creation, at all time, He receives glory when little insignificant people choose to obey Him. And that's, you know, that's one of the beauties. When I, when I, when I, when I, when I prayed Baruch Shamar, blessed is He who spoke here at the beginning of, of this class. Blessed is He who spoke. That's it. He spoke. That's enough. He spoke. The world came into being. He spoke. He gives me His yoke. He gives me His, His good word. He gives me a way to live. He gives me the knowledge the revelation of who He is. That's it. What else do I need? I need nothing else, do I? Let's keep going. Uh, I I told you, in in Genesis chapter 14, verse 13, Abraham is described as a Hebrew. Evri is one who has crossed over, come from beyond. This is the life that that Yeshua is speaking of in John chapter 10. One who has crossed over and come from beyond. That's why when we say that we are, when we're followers of Yeshua, we are children of Abraham. Whether we can trace a genetic uh, line to Abraham or not, we're children of Abraham. Even during the first century, the sages of Israel understood this. So that when a proselyte would become ethnically and religiously Jewish by converting to uh, what we would today call Judaism they would say the same thing they'd say that, well there was a debate but most of them would say you could say the prayers Abraham our, uh, speaking and praising God for Abraham our father because he is the father of he's the father of faith he's the father of those who crossed over um, we also look at uh, there's life in the blood go to Genesis chapter 9 verse 4 While you're turning, um, this idea of Greek thinking versus uh, Hebraic thinking, um, during Hanukkah, uh, we used to play a game. We haven't done it in a number of years, but when our, our boys were younger, we used to play a game uh, where we would actually, it was had, had cards and, and uh, questions. And then the questions they would ask Greek thinking or Hebrew thinking. And uh, it was really remarkable sometimes the answers people would give that would reveal what their real way of looking at life was. Greek thinking or Hebrew thinking, whether it's action based or just thought based. Uh, Genesis chapter nine verse four says, "But you shall." This is God speaking to Noah. This is uh, this is a long time before uh, Moses received from God the the Torah. But you shall you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. The idea that life and blood are connected is given to us in the earliest parts of Scripture. All through the book of Leviticus, you see this, re- this reconnection. The life is in the blood. There is a connection between blood and life. Uh, right, uh, um, again, this isn't just concepts. He could tell you that. And here's the normal way, I don't mean to be pejorative, so don't be offended if, if, if this sounds different from what you've heard before. The normal way of thinking of verses like this is, well, that's a nice concept, and that tells me something about Jesus' sacrifice for me on the cross, and put that away. Great. I learned something. Isn't that nice? (coughs) Right? It just taught me a concept. The way that a lot of people read the Hebrew Scriptures is they look for Messiah in in it, and then they close it once they find it. Oh, yeah, that just confirms what I thought. Sure. They, have, they already think they know who he is, what he's done for them. They can read the Gospels. And when they find nice little passages in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, they close their Bibles. It's a proof text for them. It's an opportunity for them to go and see. Look it, before... It, and by the way, this is true, but before it happened, he said it would. God does that, absolutely. It does confirm his word. But is that its main reason? When I read an encyclopedia, maybe, it's, maybe other encyclopedia readers in here, I don't know. When I go to look up a word or, 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 a, or a topic, I often find myself meandering. <laughs> this is the intent in scriptures. When it's being spoken in the apostolic scriptures, anywhere from a third to a quarter of the apostolic scriptures is a quote or an allusion to a to a text from the Hebrew scriptures. When it's being said, it doesn't mean go look it up and go, oh, that's nice, close the book. It means go read it, all of it. What does it mean? Not just, and more importantly, what do I do about it? When you do it, when you start approaching scripture that scripture that way, this is a remarkable thing happens. It becomes one book. It's not two parts of a book that negate each other or contradict each other. They becomes one book. It becomes one life, one lifestyle, one understanding and revelation of the true God. It's one book from beginning to end. That's the whole point. Now when you start reading Scripture and it says, "The life here in Genesis chapter, here in, G- here in Genesis chapter nine it says, "The life is in the blood." it's not just giving you a nice concept that you can put away on your theological shelf. Because when you get to the book of Leviticus, it gets really tough to keep saying it again and again and again and be giving an example after example after example and simply say, it's just teaching me about Matthew chapter 27 and Jesus on the cross and that's a wonderful thing don't misunderstand but it's more than that. It's not just he's taking your sins away he's giving you life today not just when you stand before the judge of all creation and have to give an account that he can say I've paid the debt but it's for a life today the life is in the blood Uh, go to uh, go to Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse Twenty-three. I'm so excited because this week we begin in the in the uh, weekly reading of the scripture of the of the Torah. We begin uh, the book of Deuteronomy, which uh, I can't say I have a favorite, but it's my favorite. Deuteronomy chapter twelve, verse twenty-three. only be sure that you do not eat the blood for the blood is the life that you may not eat the life with the meat well isn't it good that we don't have to do this anymore As some people would say you can still have your steak rare Uh, unfortunately they haven't read Acts chapter 15 verse 29 go there real quickly does God does God care what we eat (laughs) some people tell you no you've been freed from that and it's not because blood is bad for you physically although it is it is but that's not the only reason go to Acts chapter 15 verse 29 what does it say? it says this is, this is from the apostles, the, the disciples of Yeshua, that you abstain from these, from things offered idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. The life is in the blood. Now, these are not instructions given only to Jews. These are instructions given to Gentiles as well. Why? What does it matter? What does it matter? By the way, I would, I would offer that the vast majority of people who think their Bible begins at Matthew chapter one verse one do not read Acts chapter fifteen verse twenty nine, or if they do, they somehow think it doesn't apply to them. I, I, I mean, it's the honest truth. It is. Why? Why? How can you read it and not say it applies to you? What difference does it make? What is? That's true, and we are. But what difference does it make whether you eat blood or not? Didn't Yeshua say in Mark chapter 7 that it's not what a man takes in but what comes out of a man? Or And the addition is thus making all foods clean. <laughs> right? Why? What does it matter? What does it matter? It's just a concept. If you get the concept, if you understand the concept, can you just go ahead and do it then? Well, I understand what that was really about. So I can go ahead and do it now. I mean, there's not a whole lot of blood eaters in here. I know that. <laughs> but the point is, if you, lived in, if you lived at Masai Mara, this would be a big deal for you. Because there they eat blood. That's all they eat. This is a huge deal for them. The life is in the blood. Don't eat the blood. What does that matter? How can it possibly make a difference? How can it possibly make a difference? Why, what's his point? Is it a concept? It's not just a concept. That's the point. It's not just a concept. It's not just something that you can put aside. Once you figure out, well, now I can just do what I want. This is a, it's a spiritual schizophrenia that says I can think, write thoughts, and do something different. It is. It's a spiritual schizophrenia. And the more we practice it, this is, the, this, is what, this is one of the reasons why this is so important. The more we practice it, the more numb we become to the commandments of God.
1: Because
0: we're constantly thinking, well, I can explain that one away. I can explain that one away. How many times
1: have I been
0: all spiritual? all spiritual. By the way, if you want to know where this comes from, it comes from the garden. Did God really say... That's what the serpent said to Eve. When he, when he first queried her, that was his challenge. He didn't say God didn't say. He simply asked the question. What's wrong with the question? Did God really say? And what did Eve respond? Oh, yeah. He said we're not even allowed to touch the tree, which is, was, wasn't true. Although she may not have been to blame. Adam may have told her that. Just to keep her from even getting close, don't even touch it.
1: <laughs>
0: so it may not have been her fault in that regard, but the point is, that's right. That's right. So what we see is we see this the the challenge to what God has said comes right in the very beginning. But Greek philosophy did this as well, and this is the way that you can explain so much away. And you know, I I one of the primary commentaries that are is, is on my bookshelf is Matthew Henry's commentary of the Bible. It's, it's wonderful. But boy, there are times he just goes way off the deep end on this idea. Because he can't explain it, why it matters. He explains it away through Platonic, through Plato's philosophy. It's just a spiritual thing. Once you know the spiritual concept, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. What does it matter what you eat? Come on. What really matters is what's in the heart. It's interesting that people who take that view, who claim to know Yeshua as Messiah, also then turn around and they'll say, it's not just just committing adultery, even committing it in your heart is a sin. Why don't they take that same view on all of these things that they say all that matters is you understand the concept, what you do, in that regard doesn't matter. We don't offer sacrifices because we know what it's all about. Is that really why? Is that why we don't offer sacrifices? Why don't we offer sacrifices? Well, the temple's been destroyed. It's awfully convenient for people today What will happen if there is a temple? What would you do? Let me suggest to you that the disciples in Acts didn't stop. How is that possible? Didn't they understand the concept behind them? Why did they not change their behavior? Because it's not theology to them. It was not theology to them. It was a real experience. It was a real response to a living God. It was not just a concept. The life is in the blood. It's not just a concept. It really does mean something. It it requires you to respond. It is a concept too. (laughs) We're going to go to it here in a second. Y'all remember this? I got on the board. W W Y D or J D. What would Yeshua do? Or as the blood us all, what would, what would Jesus do? He would, and he did. Uh, Charles Shelton wrote a great book. If you have never read the book, In His Steps, let me challenge you to get it and read it. It is a great book. Because the book, it, although it's fictional, the book begins with a very interesting question. This person, not knowing, not knowing what would result in answering the question in, the, in, in a biblical way, asks the question, in a circumstance. And the circumstance requires him to respond. And what you begin to discover in the book in his steps is it changes this whole little town. And the reason it does is because everybody begins to act like they say they believe. It's this challenge. That's Hebrew thinking, right? It's this challenge. You don't just say you think it, you do it. You can't just say Yeshua is the Messiah. You have to act like it. And if you don't act like it, you don't really believe he's Messiah. You don't. That's why James is a hard book. That's why Martin Luther wanted to exclude it from his Bible. Because it was the antithesis of his idea that faith is all that matters. Raise your hand. Walk the aisle. It doesn't mean that those things are not valuable. But if that's where it ends, there is no truth in what you say. When you say, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Yeshua is Master, what does that mean? To confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. That's not Greek.
1: Walk the walk.
0: You have to walk the walk. It doesn't mean you have to walk the walk in order to have that be true in your life. It's the evidence that it is true, right? It is the evidence. What does Yeshua's life look like? What does Yeshua's life look like? When we ask this question, we have to be very, very disturbed by what we read in the Gospels. We went through the book of Matthew last year, and it's disturbing at times. Because he was really out there. Even in his day, he was really out there. He really stood out. His disciples stood out. How did they stand out? They stood out because they took absolute obedience and the mercy that God commands that he, that we show towards one another and the love that's demanded upon us for Him and for others, they took it to the extreme that He always intended. When they read in Leviticus chapter 19, love your neighbor as yourself, they thought God probably really meant it. They knew it. They acted like it. It wasn't just a warm fuzzy. My neighbors are nice. I like my neighbors. I would never do anything purposefully. Wait, you just moved your boundary line. I'm sorry, our yard goes over to here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait,
0: that's a Torah command too. Don't move the boundary lines. Oh, well, let's go to a judge. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I'm teasing. Go to, go to chapter 18 of Leviticus, verse 4. What kind of life did Yeshua live while you're turning? What kind of life did he live? It was an obedient life. Um, the, The heading to my Bible in Matthew chapter, I think it's Matthew chapter 12, says, Jesus breaks the Sabbath. Would Yeshua break the Sabbath? Leviticus chapter
1: 18,
0: verse (laughs) 4. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. This is, uh, we get the word halakha or tradition or uh, way of doing things. The word halakha that's used oftentimes in messianic congregations is this comes from the same root. To walk. To walk. You shall walk in them. You shall observe my judgments. Keep my uh, ordinances. To walk in them. I am Hashem your God. This is an interesting thing of saying. You know, everybody, did anybody know the first commandment in the ten? I am the, the Lord your God. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it, if you look at a uh, normal way of looking at it, that won't be the first one. But in the, but in the Jewish understanding of the ten, the first one is, I am Lord your God. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a commandment? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Why? Okay.
0: That's right. That's right. Why? Why is that the first?
1: Because you will follow the rest, that's your first. If you follow that everything
0: else just falls in place. So a disobedient person and by the way we all disobedient at times don't misunderstand but a disobedient person has a lifestyle. Someone you can say yeah 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 whatever they don't they not very they don't live a very nice life. But they claim to be a believer. Mm-hmm. Can a disobedient person can they really say I believe? We've led them to believe that. I think a lot of times we've led them to believe that, well, it's all you say you believe. You know, yeah. So you're not walking right now. Please use that word. You know? We're not, you're not walking with the Lord right now. Were you ever? That's it. Now, I'm, not, I'm not casting any aspersions or judgments on people. This is not, this is not pointing your fingers at others. This is a challenge for ourselves. Did we ever, if we do not accept Him as King, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments. If a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. He shall live by them? You have life by them? Do God's commandments have life or death? Depends on what translation of Romans I read.
1: Life or death. This
0: is this is not in your outline. Go to Deuteronomy chapter six. We're gonna to have to stop here real quickly. We don't just need Jesus to keep the Torah for us. We have to
1: keep it right.
0: Nothing wrong. There's nothing. That's right. And there's by the way, there's nothing wrong with the word Jesus. Let me just say it. I'm, I'm, I was being facetious. There's nothing at, al- at all. I mean, that is its English yeah, name. True that is his english name And i know exactly what you're talking about but that's his english name uh, but n- no you're right but the thing is yes an english name but it's what
1: they
0: made that name and, and i agree with that and that's why we're careful to use that's why we're careful to use the word go to uh, deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 24 and the, and hashem and the lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the lord hashem our god for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments, people of the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. It will be righteousness. If you live the life that Yeshua lived, and I'm not talking about dressing with sandals, if you live the life that he lived, will it be righteousness for you? Absolutely. Wow. We talk about imputed righteousness. By the way, we're righteous because because He's our Master. But it's, it is it is it is experiential as well. Is it life for us? Jeremiah
1: twenty three
0: five. What's that? The
1: Lord
0: our righteousness. He is, he is He is Hashem our righteousness. Absolutely. Is a kingly name. This is a Messiah's name. That's right. Messiah's name is Lord our righteousness. Absolutely. Um, the word here is, is in in Leviticus. The word is kai. It's the very essence of life. You know the little the little het that people put on t-shirts or whatever else or ne- necklaces it's not just oh it's, it's life it's life yeah. <laughs> that's life yeah. uh, it's more than that isn't it, is it? those of you who know what I'm talking about what's high that's like everything right it's like all en- all encompassing it's life beginning to end it's life it's, it's life even beyond the grave is it not isn't it life in the world to come today Life in the world to come today. Isn't that what Yeshua is speaking of when he talks about life abundantly? Why? Because what's the life in the world to come? Is there one king? Are there only his servants and subjects? What will you do? Will you disobey him in his kingdom? So what's the difference today? What's the difference today?
1: If you love me, you'll keep my commandments.
0: If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, This is not a study on commandments. It's not. It's not a study on the Torah. It's a study simply of taking words, action words, and saying, do you do what you say you believe? Do you do things that could be evidence that you have faith, a noun? If you do, faith is a verb. Isn't it? it's about everything it's about life and I've talked to, uh, we're going to close with this but I've talked to people before about the idea the concept if, if uh, y- y'all know that uh, an observant Jew blesses God over a hundred times a day well I do that sure I do that blesses God over a hundred times a day why? every time you have an opportunity to see something do something taste something it becomes a worship experience it's about life little things teeny things well how big a deal is it to make sure that what you eat is a worship experience how often do you eat?
1: <laughs>
0: do you understand that it's the little things it's how often you do it actually is a greater opportunity you know the person that can be a martyr you know that's wonderful it is it's wonderful to be a martyr I mean to die you know, at, you know saying Shabbat you know I mean what a wonderful thing don't misunderstand, though. What matters is those little things done more often. It's the little things. The little things are the places that you have an opportunity to, tro- to show who the king is. The little things. Does it matter what I eat? Does it matter how I dress? Does it matter what comes out of my mouth, what I say? The little things. How hard, how hard is it not to say a curse word? That's not hard. So I didn't say. It's a big deal. No, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. It is a huge deal. Why? Because I
1: talk all the time.
0: Those little things. Those are the verbs. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. That it is good. That it is powerful. That it can change our lives. We bless you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for our master Yeshua. For his, his death, his burial, his resurrection. His life that he gives us. Father, we thank you that you have described this life for us from the beginning of your word to the end. May we live obediently, following you, faithfully, declaring to all seen and unseen that you are the one, the King, the Almighty. We pray in Yeshua, our Master's name. Amen. Amen.